You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to The Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is Tim Burrows. Hello, Damien. Olivia Crimmel. Hello. Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. And Xander Wilson. Hello. It's March 18, and ahead of tonight's launch of the 2021 AFL season, Xander will be chatting to AFL Media's Head of Marketing and Content, Julian Dunn, about the return of the game to stadiums and what that means for the code, as well as the brands and marketers that partner with it. They'll touch on the new brand platform, how membership has fared over the last year, and expectations for the coming season from a marketing perspective. But first, the week's news topics. The takeover bid for WPP AUNZ gathers momentum while Mark Lollback departs, News and Nine agree deals with Facebook, and Influencer Marketing is put under the microscope again. WPP AUNZ continues to create headlines. Earlier in the week, an update on the potential takeover by WPP PLC was released to the ASX with a shareholder vote to go ahead on 21 April in Sydney to decide the outcome. So there was a 270-plus page scheme booklet that dropped with the announcement outlining reasons to vote yes and a very small amount of reasons to vote no. What do you expect is going to happen? Yeah, so reading the scheme booklet, I'm expecting the vote will go through. I'm expecting the takeover will go through. I mean, uh, the scheme booklet outlined reasons why shareholders should vote yes and it outlined that the independent review by PricewaterhouseCooper and the uh, WPP AUNZ independent takeover team, or I can't remember how it was phrased, but... The, the IBC yeah, something like that. Uh, they Independent found board committee, I believe. They found that uh, the offer of seventy cents per share is uh, reasonable and advantageous for the minority share shareholders of WPP AUNZ. And if you look at the share price of WPP AUNZ over the years, it is currently the highest it has been since twenty eighteen, and they do outline that in the scheme booklet as well. And uh, one of the reasons which I sort of read with a bit of humour, but I don't know whether it was intended that way, was that if you um, don't vote for the takeover, you will continue to be subject to the risks and uncertainties associated with WPP's AUNZ. And it was referring to the current transformation strategy and growth initiatives, taking time to implement and execute and the results of which are sometimes outside of the control of WPP AUNZ. Uh, so, yeah, I'm expecting it to go through just because it is a great offer and no other offer has come in over the top of that. And also, and with uh, WPP PLC already owning the majority of the shares, I think it's not as if this is the most dramatic takeover our industry has ever seen. So let's say it goes ahead. I think the industry expects it likely will go ahead. Uh, Tim, what do you think is going to happen next? Uh, obvious next steps for the business if it's owned by WPP PLC? Look, as, as Zoe says, it could be fairly routine. You know, So we, we've obviously got in the history of the organisation it's still got a little bit of the STW culture, which is, you know, which is where it sort of bubbled out of. So I guess more and more it begins to take on the kind of the global culture. Um, 
some reporting lines I'm sure will change because we'll be much more a part of the wider Asia region presumably so how that sort of shakes things up we'll see i um yeah i was lo- i was i was looking on the asx and i see a couple of the sort of recent announcements if you look at the kind of in the you know in the tab online you can see the file name and i, I in a couple of the documents that appear to have come out of the london office it appears to be called project yates so or project yeats y e a t s which i guess if you if they've named it after the irish poet and playwright then i think that's pronounced yates but yes i was trying to work out which one is the which one is the project labeled named after because uh you know there is there is a a smoking impact crater on mercury the planet mercury called the yates crater so maybe it's inspired by that or or there was a shipwreck back in 1896 uh the, the boat the alexander yates so maybe they were inspired by that so um so yes, could be crater, could be shipwreck. Maybe it's the 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 the, the playwright, and they were feeling a little bit more, more more romantic. But uh, but yeah, it's a bit of a mystery where the project name has come from, though. Uh, but um, but you know, as 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 Zoe says, I it seems hard to see where the interruption for the deal is going to come from. Tim, what do you think is going to happen to Jens Monsey's if this uh, takeover does come to fruition? Uh, I mean, nobody knows, Mm. but when somebody is the CEO of an ASX company, there are a lot of demands on them and their time and actually in the support network around them that aren't necessarily there once it comes off the ASX, which is a kind of polite way of saying they become a bit expensive. So uh, I guess that is one of the questions. does, Does yens become an expensive luxury or is he more widely baked into a wider Asia leadership structure? And I, I'm afraid I don't know the politics, and there would be internal politics of 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 of, of that. Um, clearly, you know, it's 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 reasonably on the record that he's met some, you know, internal kind of resistance to the to the changes he's made. So I'm sure that will play into the play into the politics, even if gradually, you know, some of those people who are resisting have been you know, have been have been leaving. And I'm not saying that um, Mark Lowback's departure this week, I'm not saying whether he was one of the resistors or not, I don't know, but it is notable that he's um, departed this week from, um, from Group M, isn't it, Zoe? Yeah, so that was announced yesterday that he would be leaving this Friday, which as time of recording is tomorrow. And Look, there's been a lot of industry speculation about Mark Lolbach's role as CEO of Group M since, and particularly since Jens Monsees came into the business and, you know, was streamlining the leadership roles, uh, bringing the agencies together in closer collaboration. My understanding is that Mark Lolbach was brought into Group M to sort of sort out the business, get it all in fighting form after some of the mishaps at Mediacom a few years ago and he has done that with great success. I think uh, Group M as a whole is quite a force in the media agency sphere now and I think it will be interesting to see how this potentially will bring those Group M agencies closer to the rest of the WPP business because in a way and perhaps this is my external perspective it seems that Group M does kind of operate as its own little bubble and without a CEO at the top of that, although they are bringing in a new, they are searching for a new CEO to replace Lolbach, I am interested to see how this will play into that second stage of Jens Monsey's transformation plan, which 
they really stressed was about collaboration and scaling clients across the group from Group M to the creative and content to the specialty agencies. So I think there could be a bit of play there. And I suppose the other thing sort of, you know, to Zoe's point on, you know, Mark Lowellback and, and, and his role was um, for a number of years, I suppose there was a bit of a puzzle because, you know, John Steadman had run the group for a long time. Then he'd kind of retired. Then he came back. So he sort of, there was a bit of coming and going. So there was a while when it looked almost as if there were two people both running the group or both in charge of the group. And obviously, you know, I suppose the argument was Lowellback brought with him a kind of client background and, um, and, Steady had the deeper media agency relationships. Um, so there, there was something complementary, but equally it was like, surely in these tougher times, there's only room for one of them. So once once Steady did then finally sort of step away, that was a sort of question of whether, whether you know, maybe Lowback would get to stay after all, but obviously he's not. And I, I guess we don't quite know, do we, Zoe, whether I think we can, we're assuming he's been invited to leave. But um, obviously in the press release, it's kind of written as if it's his choice, but, but obviously one doesn't know. Well, I think it's important to think of it this way. I mean, with this, se- this amount of senior talent leaving, and it's also coming at a time where there's been a big push for digital transformation that sometimes just the capabilities of, those, of that talent is not suited to the direction of the business anymore. And that's not to say anything against their career history because Mark Lowellback, as an example, has quite an impressive career, like as CMO of McDonald's, CMO of ANZ. So they've built, obviously, quite deservingly their way up the ladder to these roles. And But now with the direction of WPP, like perhaps they might not be suited to them anymore and so I think it's important to I just think it's important to recognize perhaps a little element of respect in that press release I th- because perhaps yes he was invited to leave but I think also it's important to respect the contribution he made to group him and the, his career as a whole just to add to that though they did say in the press release that the position would be filled which I don't think a lot of people necessarily expected. Mm. So there is the intention, as far as we have read, that there will be someone else announced in the same or similar role moving forward. And I'd be willing to bet that a 2021 salary is a lot smaller than a 2015 salary for that role. I'd be willing to bet that you're right on the money. Next up, Facebook signs deals with Nine and News Corp. Media deals with Facebook are starting to roll in with News Corp, confirming it has struck an agreement with the tech giant that stretches across News Corp's mastheads, including the Australian News.com.au, The Daily Telegraph, Herald Sun, Courier Mail and regional titles. Sky News has separately done a deal with Facebook, while Umbrella understands Nine has signed a letter of intent, but would only confirm it is in constructive and fruitful discussions with Facebook. Liv, what are the details of the news deal and do we have any indication on the figures that we're talking about here when it comes to the deal? Yes, uh, who knew Mark Zuckerberg wanted to get Rupert something special for his 90th birthday. Uh, News has signed a deal with Facebook. Uh, No amounts have been disclosed as yet, but 
Unlike its Australian media counterparts, News Corp already had an agreement with Facebook that it signed back in 2019 for content on Facebook News. So this latest three-year deal builds on that agreement, adding the Australian mastheads to it. Um, While there have been no commercial details shared in terms of the value of it, um, we can safely assume that it's a sizable amount of money for news to have signed off on it, given it is fairly well known that the Murdoch-led empire had been fairly instrumental in getting the digital platforms inquiry and news media bargaining code on the government's agenda. We also know that Facebook has said it's looking to spend $1 billion or more over the next three years on Facebook news product. Nine, seven news, they've now done deals uh, with Facebook. Apparently nine have done a, a deal with Facebook. Now, or if we go back to the Google situation anyway, now is the time we started to see uh, the deals coming through with smaller to medium-sized uh, publishers. Uh, Tim, do you expect that's going to happen with Facebook now? Will we see those uh, occurring now? Yeah, probably. And let's come to that in a second because I think one of the things I was thinking about is just the wider picture, Mm. the significance of the point we've got to this week. I've been a journo for just over 30 years and there's no other point I can think in my career when the future funding of journalism has had a better outlook in the future than at the, the, at the, the whatever that present time was until now. You know, these announcements mean for journalism in Australia, you know, the numbers they seem to be talking about, maybe 200 million, maybe 250 million, that guarantees, certainly at the big end of town, we'll come back to the small end of town in a minute, but certainly at the big end of town, the future of the funding of journalism, the news business model, is safe for the near future and possibly even the medium future for the first time in decades. So it's a really, really significant moment. Um, and almost because it's kind of crept up on us, so taken so long to creep up on us, we've almost not noticed how significant it is. You know, this is a real punctuation mark in the story of the funding of journalism in Australia. Let's talk about journalism, though, because for journalists, does this guarantee more opportunity, more jobs? The the way I've been reading it is not necessarily. You may have a, a different viewpoint on that, though. Yeah, no, and yes, um, like most of the messy stuff with this, you know, with 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 this because it's an you know it's an incredibly inelegant solution in which the government you know, leans over, leans over Facebook and Google and, you know, as, as Alan Kohler put it this week, you know, you wouldn't want anything to happen to your, your, your nice business in Australia, would you? Um, so that, and that's absolutely the story behind it. Um, and one of the things is there are no strings attached to the money in terms of you've got to hire X number of journalists. Um, interestingly, you know, the ABC have already given some commitments around if they get some of the money that they'll spend it in regional journalism, etc. So sort of, you know, guaranteeing to do new things. Um, but, you know, a big challenge of the last decade and more has been not having to do rounds of cuts to journalists. You know, it was 2012 that um, in the space of a week, uh, Fairfax announced that they were making 1,900 people redundant. The next week, News Corp announced they're making 1,600 people redundant. Um, 
we're probably not going to have to do that for a number of years now. So that's the positive. Um, the big next question, though, is, yeah, what happens at the small end of town? Will the government and the ACCC be as keen on making sure that those guys are looked after when the people who decide where the votes go to them tend to be the ones who air the, uh, the, 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 the television news at six o'clock each night? And just on that, uh, interestingly, Senator Hanson Young was trying to make sure that there is some accountability for where these funds are going to in one of her amendments on the actual media bargaining code bill. So it will be interesting to see uh, in 12 months' time when the media news businesses, as they're called under the code, have to disclose to ACMA where those funds have gone. Uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of smoke and mirrors. Well, and one of the things to remember about this is why it's in both sides' interests, potentially, to, for these deals not to be done under the News Media Bargaining Code. So remember, these deals are being done ahead of it and outside of it, so presumably they won't have to justify that. And equally, the reason Google and Facebook are so keen to do the deals now is that they won't be designated under the code so that they can tell the rest of the world that, no, absolutely, we're not paying to link. We just think it's worth paying a ridiculous amount to people, put people on Google Showcase and on the, fa- the new Facebook News tab. You know, that's all it is. And speaking of the smaller end of town, as well as trying to get deals done quite quickly, you mentioned in Best of the Week recently that you're taking it uh, on your own shoulders now to discuss, uh, negotiate with Google and Facebook on behalf of Mumbrella. How's that going so far? Yeah, that's right, which I, I yeah, chatted about a couple of times now in in, um, in Best of the Week. So two things. So we've we've reached out to, um, uh, to Google and Facebook and got, well, yeah, I guess what could be politely sort of, described as holding replies, which is understandable given like it's, that it sounds like they were deep in conversations with the likes of, and complicated conversations with the like of, likes of, 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 of News and Nine. So I'm not that surprised that, um, that you know, the, the, the micro end of the, uh, the industry is, is, is coming down the track. Um, and then the other thing we'll do is we'll, we'll go through the process of um, attempting to register ourselves as a sort of recognised core news provider so that when it does come time, come time to uh, uh, start, the, uh, start the news media bargaining code, if it does, that we're in a position to do so. Um, and, you know, and there are quite a few, there's, there's quite a lot of bureaucracy involved in doing that. So that's my current pleasure. Stay tuned. Coming up next, is self-regulation enough for the influencer marketing industry? This week, Zoe took a more detailed look into the influencer marketing industry after chatting with The Feed's Elise Potaker about how she and reporter Callista Weitenberg managed to sign up a fake influence account to a social media agency. The escapade was detailed in the four-part series Like, Subscribe, Follow, the first of which aired this week on the SBS's feed. There's promise of revealing agencies breaking the rules, so there being one episode in, we're not at the name and shame stage yet, but Zoe, brands and influencers are flaunting the guidelines. Are we really shocked by this? I think in some respect, no. And I don't know whether flaunting is the right word. I mean, I think there is an element of flaunting and then I think there's also... And flaunting as well. I think there's an element of just 
continuing to bend the rules because no one is looking. And I think that's one of the big takeaways I took from my chat with Elise because the scale of this industry is huge. I mean, you think about influencers and I think your mind automatically goes to something like a health and wellness influencer in Bondi, but it goes so much far further beyond that. What they were talking about in the first episode that went to air um, is that micro-influencers now have, which have less than 100,000 followers are quite attractive to brands because they have a higher engagement rate. So you have the micro-influencers, you have macro influencers like celebrities and people who have millions and millions of followers and it just the categories that they they can fall into any category of any interest group and I think the problem here is that the scale of this industry and every brand now needing to jump on board the influencer train has kind of led it to get out of control in a certain degree there are guidelines. You say flaunt the rules. Flout. Uh, flout the rules. Tim says flout the rules. Um, are I, there? I think you'll find the Daily Mail people flaunt their toned abs on a regular basis. But at any stage, I'm going to move very swiftly on from where that conversation was going. Let's, let's focus on rules because AIMCO has its guidelines. So I'm using quotation marks here. Of course, you can't see me. But those guidelines, AIMCO also says it's not up to them to police it. We obviously have guidelines from ad standards as well. Who's responsible for actually making sure that influencers are abiding by whatever rules we actually do have in place? So I'm going to direct that your way. So you're right, we do have ad standards and the AANA Code of Ethics, and that's the advertising self-regulator. But you also have the ACCC and what is in Australian consumer law about disclosing paid content on social media. So it really does come down to those two bodies. The ACCC is obviously a government agency. Ad standards is its own organisation run by its own board. They're both avenues that people can report what they suspect to be influencer content that is breaking the rules or not disclosing that it's paid. There are a lot of loopholes in that though, where it's things that are gifted or contra or, you know, there's so many different ways you can arrange an influencer campaign. I think ad standards in particular is an interesting one to me because let's just say the demographic of people who complain to ad standards, because ad standards does re rely on complaints made by members of the public. It's not necessarily the people targeted by influencer marketing. So the ad standards 2020 report of operations found that almost 50% of complaints were lodged by people between 30 and 54 years old. Only 7% of those complaints came from people between 19 to 29, which are most likely the consumers being targeted by influencer marketing. So with that tiny amount of people lodging complaints to ad standards, it's no surprise that perhaps a lot of this activity from influencers and brands is sort of flying under the radar. Look, and the, the other point on the ACCC is, you know, much like ad standards, they, they do rely on complaints. I, um, I I promise not to be the annoying person who always goes on about the book, but for the book, um, I, I, I looked at influencers and I, I, I had to go to the ACCC for a comment because I wanted to double check, is it true that they have never 
investigated the failure of an influencer uh, to declare that they were sponsored. That's correct, they never have. Um, but they made the point they very, very rarely get complaints. Now, something I think is interesting about this SBS investigation, which is kind of, you know, going to go over, you know, this was week one of four, and it's a really, you know, it's a very engaging way of, of doing it as well that they have, is this is the sort of thing that starts moving it up the political agenda for the likes of the ACCC. You know, when it's actually being talked about quite loudly and publicly, that's when they may actually have to start taking a look. So I think if I was involved in um, an influencer agency at the moment, I'd be very keen that it wasn't, uh, you know, one of my influencers that became the test case. So I wonder whether we will actually see a, a few more spons or hashtag ad uh, hashtags coming up in the, uh, in, in, in the coming months, just because it begins to dawn on people that, actually maybe the authorities might start to wake up? We had a chat about this uh, a bit recently, Tim, and I also talked to one of my umbrella's friends, Stephen Bonmonster, uh, a lawyer who specialises in, in media about this uh, as well. And the use of hashtag spons or ad or gifted or whatever it happens to be seems to be relatively muddy as well in terms of what makes you have to use it. Where do you not have to use it? Uh, interestingly, though, uh, in the uh, one of the blog posts that he's done on his website, uh, and he does note that, and I'll read this out because it gets a bit um, a bit legal. Uh, under Section 18 of the Australian Consumer Law, a person must not, in trade or commerce, engage in conduct that is misleading or deceptive, or is likely to mislead or deceive. Uh, it goes on to essentially imply that uh, influencers could be doing this by suggesting they have more followers than they do that are real followers. And in the feed the other night, that was one of the topics that they brought up was the fake followers and buying followers. And, and that particularly is interesting because it does seem like there is a very strict law that means you could be, as an influencer, if you have fake followers and are trying to suggest that they are real followers – be misleading the brands that you work with. But again, if no one's making these complaints, brands or agencies, then nothing's really going to happen about it, is it, though? Yeah, and another way that you can sort of disguise the status of your actual account is through joining something called an engagement pod. And I think you'll see more of that in the documentary as it goes on, but it's sort of like joining a mutual agreement of influencers air quotes who decide to who agree to like and comment and follow each other and all of their posts to boost that engagement rate which is really what brands look at is the engagement they're going to receive from any content that they put up tell you the ultimate question i find myself wondering about because as zoe says this is quite a big sector now is it inherently inauthentic and dodgy or is it just becoming a really big sector? So, of course, that's one of the things that goes on. Um, in other words, is there something real at the heart of it? Or is just the whole lot questionable? Yeah, I think there was something real at the heart of it. And I think that came out of the growth of YouTube content creators in like the early 2010s. Who, you know, you had your beauty YouTubers who were giving like genuine recommendations of products and then brands saw that and thought 
well, I can send them my products and then pay them some money to talk about them. And I feel like that must have been, you know, where the seed was planted. And it's kind of just an extension of celebrity endorsement in a way as well, isn't it? Coming up next, Xander chats to the AFL's Julian Dunn. Mumbrella 360 returns face-to-face this July with three venues, four streams and the most forward-thinking leaders in the Australian industry. Whether your brand, agency or media side, this is an event not to be missed. Book your early bird tickets now and save $300 via mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360. My name is Xander Wilson, and on this episode of the Mumbrella Cast, I'm joined by Julian Dunn, the Head of Content and Marketing for the AFL. Julian, thanks for joining me. No problem, Xander. Thanks for having me. So, Julian, footy is back this week, and from the looks of things, we'll be back to a pretty normal season with a much more familiar offering uh, for fans, both who'll be attending games at stadiums and, and also watching on TV. How are you feeling ahead of the first round? Yeah, I think um, probably a bit like the fans, really excited. Um, we've still got a whole lot of challenges around stadium capacities and um, how we work with different state governments and venues um, and our fans to, to communicate around those issues, but um, won't quite be an, a normal season and, uh, and things change pretty rapidly. But, um, yeah, really excited to have the season starting and, um, and, and, and you know, I haven't, I haven't been to a game for a long time as well, so I'm, I'm excited like the rest of the fans to get to a game and, and watch some live footy. Yeah, and we've obviously seen the season launch campaign video drop recently as well. Um, To me, it feels like there's a really strong message coming through that there's this focus on nostalgia and and that feeling of being at and watching the games of the past before we were hit by COVID. Tell us a bit about the ideas and execution behind getting that campaign off the ground. Yeah, I I think that that's right. I mean, um, we didn't have a huge amount of of time to to plan uh, a lot of changes for us last year structurally and um, obviously with with COVID impacting the the business more broadly and and we had a lot of redundancies and um, uh, the planning was 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 fairly rushed on this campaign uh, but we're really um, wrapped with with where it's ended up and um, what we wanted to do uh, from the start was bring all of our campaigns under one platform which which we've done under This Is Us. And, and This Is Us, we think, is, is a great representation of, of what the game's about. Um, footy is, is a great leveller. Um, when we talk to our fans, they, they tell us that they feel like it's, um, it's a critical part of their life, but, but also um, it, it's a part of who they are, the, the club that they support and how they've grown up uh, loving the game. And then for, for new fans, it's, it's a new tribe, a new way of life to become part of. Um, so the, the campaign really is, is aimed at capturing all of that. Um, the fact that the, you know, the, the game sort of brings us together, like not too many other things, um, in this country, uh, and, and whether you're from a different background or different culture or, um, regardless of your, your, your job or your dreams or your emotions, um, you know, footy, footy has a great way of, uh, of, of, of getting you excited and, and making you feel connected. So that, that's, that's broadly, um, you know, the strategy behind uh, This Is Us, but also it works across um, all of our different products and campaigns. So uh, we launched This Is Us with AFLW. Um, we've also utilised it across our community um, football campaigns and we'll use it for, for finals and um, all of our different um, themed rounds and products. It's the first time we've actually 
um, used one platform across all of our products and campaigns, which is really exciting, gives us more leverage um, across the board um, and, um, and, I, and I think makes a lot of sense for us as a brand. And as you mentioned there, with it being the first time the AFL has focused its messaging under a unified brand or slogan, um, it, it does, though, feel like this message reflects not just this advertising campaign, but but also campaigns of, of the past with the, the AFL still focusing on, on grassroots footy as part of its message and, and obviously showing footage of, of games at, at the local level and averaged Aussie fans recreating moments of history in their backyard. Do you feel like we've been building towards this campaign and, and this messaging for, for some time? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's, um, you know, compared to other sports, um, you know, footy is a great leveller. You know, it's, uh, you know, people play from, from all sorts of different backgrounds and different shapes and sizes from, you know, uh, seven foot ruckman to um, five foot four. I'm talking, um, you can tell my age by, by, uh, by how I'm talking about people's height. But um, <laughs> uh, from five foot four rovers, uh, you know, we, 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 footy is a great game um, for, for everybody and our fans are the same. They come from all walks of life. Um, and they have incredible passion. And uh, we talk about two things really uh, when it comes to the game that, that, that make us unique. One is the, the, the ability of the game to sort of provide a way of life for many communities um, and really bring people together like, like no other game uh, in this country. Um, and then the second thing is just the spectacular nature of the game. It's high scoring. There's lots of goals. There's, you know, high marks. Um, you know, the, the, the athletes are... Are incredible in their own right. So, so they're the things that we really. Um, and, and you're right. Uh, other campaigns that ha, you know have have leveraged um, those USPs, uh, but but I think um, bringing it all together um, under one platform just gives us a lot of synergy and and um, and, and 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 a lot more ability to to reach a, and talk to a, a broader audience um, and, and engage uh, you know across all of our different um, segments. You know, that, that was really, as I said, launched with uh, um, AFLW uh, where, you know, the campaign was quite different this year and then, um, and then but, but also integrated the, the, the platform uh, and strapline, uh, this is us, and then, and then again for, uh, for, for the men's season. Definitely. And I'm just wondering as well, were there any additional considerations or constraints around filming and, and, and putting the campaign together or any specific difficulties that you found you ran into with COVID-related restrictions or, or, or the like? Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, challenges around um, uh, how we um, shoot athletes and how close we can get um, and all of those things. I mean, um, protecting the health and safety of, of, of our people and our athletes as, as comes first in everything we do. And I think um, some of those restrictions have, have been lightened um, with, you know, with reduced COVID numbers, um, particularly in, in Victoria. But that, that was a massive challenge for us last year. Um, yeah, this year we, we, we didn't shoot. I mean, we've got, we've used... Um, We've used broadcast footage, but we we shot with um, at a number of different community footy areas, and and um, and and just used uh, you know a number of our different fans playing the game. So there weren't as many of those challenges, but again, you know there were things that um, that we couldn't couldn't do, and and um, you know just in terms of um, keeping space and 
um, you know, how, how we work with our production crews and so on. There's a whole lot of restrictions um, still in place um, just really to protect um, the people involved uh, on both sides of the camera. But, um, yeah, I think uh, uh, things are a bit slower as well just from a production perspective because there's more planning and we have COVID officers involved in everything we do. So it's just um, it's, it's more complicated. Uh, but I think we're able, we, we, we're still able to shoot. We, the, the campaign was included a three-day shoot, um, including a, a day in Darwin. Um, and, um, yeah, we're, 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 you know, we work really closely with the CLEMS team um, and it was a sort of a co-production uh, with Clems and uh, Moffa, uh, the production company, and then uh, AFL Digital did all of the post-production. Um, so, yeah, re really great collaboration. And um, Clems, Clems uh, presented the idea to us um, and it was actually the first idea they presented and we, we, we loved it. And I think, you know, we worked with them on the strategy initially and, um, you know, we've worked with them for a number of years and, and between sort of our AFL digital team and Clems, there's a really, really strong understanding of, of the brand um, and what makes the game unique. So, um, yeah, it was a, was a, was a, was a, was a really um, great project to work on. Um, and, um, you know, I think everybody's wrapped with the, uh, um, with the final campaign. We're still rolling it out uh, across different markets. Um, we've tailored... Um, the campaign in New South Wales and Queensland, um, and we're rolling out all of the um, all of the outdoor and, and, and print and digital uh, over the next coming weeks, and then we'll, we'll move into um, uh, quite a specific targeted retail campaign and also a membership campaign, um, which will kick off in the next week. And you mentioned they're going into these communities and, and filming footage and, and interacting and that sort of thing. Um, typically, fan engagement's always been a big part of the AFL's marketing and and strategy. Will there be much change to the marketing mix this year due to restrictions on fan-related activities or activations and that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, there, there are definitely limitations at venue. Um in what we can can and can't do, but there are also still a lot of things that w that we are doing at the venues um, and on match day, working really closely with the clubs, obviously, um, and our venues um, to engage fans um, and make sure they have a great time. But yeah, there's sort of limitations around seating and limitations around um, what we can do around um, in the venue and through the seating bowl and so on. But um, you know, the, the great thing about uh, the game is, and, and particularly for most of our sort of um, avid fans, is that they just actually just love watching the game, and it's and it's um, there's a lot of content, and and the game moves pretty quickly, and there's not a lot of stoppages. So, um, unlike sort of um, some of the US sports where you know there's lots of timeouts and so on, like the game's moving pretty quickly. Um, and our and our fans just love the actual game itself. So that's not to say that the the, the game presentation and everything that we do around it isn't important. Um, and, and and we're still we're still doing the majority of what we've done in previous years. Uh, but um, yeah, m most of our fans are coming for the game itself, and and it's important we protect that um, and and hero the, the the game itself. 
Yeah, and obviously there's been plenty of hype ahead of the 2021 season for a number of reasons, Uh, not just through the marketing material that we've seen from the AFL, but we've also seen the AFL team up with Amazon uh, Prime Video to bring out the Making Their Mark docuseries, which has launched this week, and and also the Kick Like Taylor series, which will be coming out. Uh, What sort of role are you expecting these docos to play in terms of bringing fans to the game? Uh, Is it a case of bringing new fans... uh, uh, sort of introducing new fans to the game or or perhaps, you know, getting a hold of some fans that might have fallen out of love with the game? Yeah, I think it's a, a bit of both, actually, Xander. I think um, the one thing that the Making Their Mark uh, documentary, which which launched last Friday, um, has provided our fans is that they've never had that type of behind-the-scenes access um, to the game. So bringing them, you know, r- r- right up in, in, into the life of the the coach and the players and and um, and what goes on behind the scenes uh, it's it, like it's it's incredible access that um, the fans have never seen so I think for our uh, more engaged fans uh, that's something that they're always interested in because they actually you know they want to get closer to the game and closer to the um, you know the clubs that the teams that they support and closer to the athletes that they identify with and, and, and go and support every weekend. Um, so, so I think that there's something um, special for, for our engaged fans. And then, you know, the, there's, there's a whole lot of human interest stories uh, behind the game associated with that, that I think will have broad appeal um, that, that um, making their mark uh, goes into, I think it's about 200 and just under 250 um, countries around the world. Um, so incredible way to promote the game globally. Um, and also those series, I think, um, you know, I know personally, I, you know, I watch a lot of um, sports documentaries uh, um, which are associated with sports that I'm not, haven't generally been passionate about, but, I, you know, I find that the human interest element, uh, you know, really engaging. And I think, uh, I think that that's the opportunity to, to broaden our audience and, 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 and I think there's no doubt that the show will, um, w- will present the, the game of football and market the game of football to a, um, a new audience, uh, which, is, which is really powerful. And I think also Amazon are an incredible partner and they, um, you know, they, they, they're pr- they've promoted uh, the show really significantly, particularly in Australia with, with, a, with a very significant you know, media buy and promotional plan and PR strategy around it. So that's, you know, leading into the season, um, that's a real boost for, for the game and, and the clubs involved and the athletes involved and um, how they're promoting the game uh, in the lead up to, to um, you know, the, the men's season starting this Thursday night. And just before we wrap up, is there anything else we can expect from the AFL marketing team this season and anything we should be keeping an eye out for over the, over the coming months? Uh, we're looking to do some UGC, a UGC campaign um, around um, the This Is Us uh, AFL uh, campaign, which I, I'm, I'm excited about. So um, we'll, we'll be asking fans to recreate those moments. Um, so that's kicking off soon. Um, we're doing a whole lot of stuff to thank our fans. Um, I think it was just an, announced today um, a whole lot of you know food and beverage offers. We've got $2 pies. Um, um, which is always a winner, uh, but uh, also between us and the clubs and the and the athletes involved, we're doing a lot to um, to thank our fans. Our fans, I, I think, our you know every sport probably probably thinks this and says this, but I, I think our fans are 
the most loyal in sport. Uh, I, I mean, our members, we had 94% of our members um, retained uh, through COVID, even, even, you know, in a period where most of them couldn't get to games. Um, and this is sort of going back to that point around the fact that, you know, the, the, the game is and, and, and the club they support is really a part of who they are and their identity um, and, and their, their loyalty is incredible. So we're, we're doing as much as we can to, to thank our fans and um, trying as, as hard as we can to get them as um, to increase our stadium capacities and get them as much access as we can to the season ahead because I think there's a, there's a lot of pent-up demand after a, a year, particularly, um, you know, in, in, in Victoria and, and New South Wales where our fans couldn't get to games. So, uh, yeah, I think um, just trying to, trying to open up access as much as we can is, is, is going to be critical and engage them in the process. Yeah, fantastic. Sounds like there's plenty to keep an eye out for this season. Uh, Julian Dunn, thank you for joining me on the Mumbrella cast. No problem. Thanks, Anna. And that's it for this week. But before we go, you only have a week left to make the final entry deadline for Mumbrella's ComsCon Awards, closing at midnight on Friday, March 26. It's been a big year for Australia and New Zealand's PR and communications industry. Now is the time to take a moment to reflect on your accomplishments and reward your team for their hard work. You can enter across 25 categories. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash ComsCon Awards for more information. That's it for this week, though. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you.